We're not going to read the text immediately, but I want to talk this morning about God's plan for the church. And the best way I know to talk about God's plan for the church today is to go back to the early church and see what God did then. You see, if I were to ask the question this morning, what do you think God intended for the church, there would be a lot of different answers. If I were to ask you what you think God envisioned for the church, there would be a lot of different responses to that question. Some might say that you need different programs. You've got to reach different people, so you've got to have different ministries so that you can reach all kinds of age groups. That's a good response. Some might say, well, you need singing and you need worship and you need contemporary music so that you can keep up with the age and keep up with trying to reach this young culture. Let me just say something. I get tired of people trying to say that the church has to stay relevant. Because that is a big word in our society today that the, somehow the church has to stay relevant so you can reach people. But let me just say this, the preaching of the cross and the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's foolishness to them that are lost. Isn't that what Paul said? And yet we're trying to be relevant why? Do you think the early church was trying to be relevant? No. They were trying to be biblical and led by the Spirit and obedient to God. And I believe that still works. Amen? Some people might say, well, pastor, we need the latest technology to keep up with the times in which we're living. And listen, uh, listen, I have nothing wrong with TVs. I have nothing wrong with putting Scripture up there, uh, up here. But I said this one Wednesday night, I don't need this. But let me also say this, having this up here sometimes has made us lazy and we don't bring Bibles to church anymore because the preacher's going to put the Scripture up here and he's going to give us a handout with everything on it and so I don't need a Bible anymore. Amen? Let me say to you, even though we have screens and you get outlines, still bring a Bible to church. Because let me say, well, what if I misprint something? I want you to have a Bible so that you can see it for yourself. So all of those things, they're great answers. They're great responses. And I don't think there's anything wrong with those things. But can I tell you what I believe God planned and what God intended for the church? We find it in Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42 through verse 47. So let's look at it. It's on the screen. It's on your handout. If you want to read from your copy of the Word of God, you can. But let's look at it. I'm going to read from the New International Version this morning. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor 
of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In this text we see seven characteristics that I believe make a great church and make a church great. These seven characteristics are God's plan for the church. And this morning as we look at these characteristics it's, it's my desire that Jefferson Church of God be this kind of church. And so this is my vision casting sermon for the year. This is what I want our church to be. So let's look at what the church needs to be. Number one, we see that it was a scriptural church. It was a scriptural church. You'll notice in verse 42 that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they were devoted to the truth of God's Word. The only church built their lives around the teaching of God's Word. They were going to look at Scripture, listen to Scripture, learn from it, and they were going to live by it. They were going to do life by the book. You see, God designed the church to be a place where the Word of God is proclaimed and explained. You see, the church is to be a place where the Word of God is preached and proclaimed and expounded and uh, taught in such a way that you can leave knowing the truth of God's Word. And so a commitment to the truth of God's Word is foundational to the growth and spiritual health of every church. But you look around today at the modern church and you have very little biblical preaching take place. You have churches today that are trying to be relevant and trying to be hip and trying to keep up with the times and they'll put props on the screen and they'll preach about a prop and do very little preaching from the Bible. I've seen them do it on TV. I've seen them put uh, beds on the, uh, on, on the platform and preach about marriage, but do very little Bible preaching. But use a bed as an illustration to talk about marriage. But throw only tidbits of Bible in here and there. The Bible is to be the center and the focus when we come to the house of God. It needs to be preached and proclaimed so that the people of God can be armed to live the way God wants them to live. You see, the basic task of the church is to teach sound doctrine. And I know that the Bible says there's coming a day that people will not endure sound doctrine, but when we come to the house of God, sound doctrine is supposed to be taught. You see, I'm not supposed to come give my opinion. I'm not supposed to come tell pure jerking illustrations to to, uh, play on your emotions. I'm supposed to come preach the Word of God. That's what God's called me to do. And that's my main responsibility. Preach the Word. You see, if a church is going to be protected from false doctrine, you've got to know sound doctrine. Listen to these verses. 1 Timothy 4.13 Paul writing to Timothy. He says, Until I come, Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, in view of His appearing in His kingdom, I give you this charge. Notice this. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. The church needs to be centered around the teaching and preaching of God's Word. That's why I preach the way I do. That's why I go through books of the Bible verse at a time. Because I want you to know the Word of God. That's why some of you probably think, Preacher, why are we taking so long in the book of Ephesians? Because I want you to know the Word of God. 
then why does it matter if I preach a verse each week or several verses each week? I've got another Sunday, Lord willing. So I'll come back and I'll preach another one. You understand that God's called me to preach and I've got to preach something every week. And it's not always easy to come up with something to preach. And so if I preach a verse this week, Paul, it's a lot easier just to say, well, it's another verse that follows in line with it. I'll pick up right there and keep on preaching. And then you get the flow of the book. You get to understand it. And we don't rip things out of context. Because if I rip things out of context, I can make this say whatever I want it to say. And that's what so many do. I want us to be a church that's committed to the Word of God. Because the church can't operate on truth that isn't taught. And you as believers can't function on principles that you haven't learned. We need to be a church that is scriptural. But secondly, I want us to be a fellowshipping church. That's what we see in the early church. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were scriptural, but we also see that they were devoted to fellowship. It says they broke bread. The basic meaning of fellowship is this. It means partnership, association. It refers to close relationship. It refers to sharing. The word implies intimacy, singleness of purpose, trust of one another, sharing of material goods and harmony rather than hostility. You see, the early church was more than a congregation. They were a community. You see, their closest relationships, their closest friendships were with those inside the church. You see, we were created for community. We were created for relationships. We were created to having people in our lives. If you go back to the book of Genesis, you'll see that God created everything and He said that it was good, but then He looked at Adam and He said, it's not good for man to be alone. Why? Because we need people. We need relationships. We need community. We need fellowship. And so the church is to be a place for believers to gather together and fellowship one with another. You see, God never intended for believers to isolate themselves and cut themselves off from other believers. You see, when you and I believed in Jesus, we became a part of His family. You see, when you believed, you now belong. You understand that. And there's no such thing as a long ranger Christian. There's no such thing as the church singular. You're not the church by yourself. The church is always plural. We're the church together. And so when you cut yourself off from the church and don't attend the local body when we gather together, you're not the church. We're only the church when we are together. You find it in the Word of God that they're always together. That's the church. 
It's not a building. It's not an organization. It's not a club. It's not an institution. The church is the people of God coming together. It's the body of Christ. It's a family and family spends time together. Amen? And so let me say it to you this way. Church is not a place you go. It's a family where you belong. That's how we need to see Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights. I'm not going somewhere. I'm going to a place where I belong. I'm going to see family. Church is to be a place where the believers are committed to one another. You pray for one another. You encourage one another. You fellowship with one another. You meet together regularly. But most of all, you love one another. And so for a Christian to fail to participate in the life of the local church when it gathers, it's inexcusable. In fact, for those who cut themselves off and isolate themselves from gathering together when the church body gathers, you're being disobedient to Scripture. I believe that when the local body gathers and you choose not to gather with that body, you're being disobedient to what Scripture teaches and commands. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more, notice that, all the more as you see the day approaching. Does he say meet together less? Sounds like he says meet together more, doesn't he? But we're living in a day where everybody's trying to meet together less. And spend less time together. But he says, don't give up meeting together. But he says, actually, encourage one another and all the more. We're to be encouraging each other and meeting together. Especially now we know that Jesus is coming. It's getting closer. Why? Because we'll get discouraged. the psalmist for me. He said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. There's another song, I believe it was by Asaph, that around 78, I believe it is, 83, somewhere along there, that he talks about, he, he saw the wicked in their prosperity. And he wondered how that they could prosper and how he cleansed his heart in vain. Here he is, I'm trying to serve God. And he said, I've done it in vain. But he says, but when I went to the house of God, I recognized their end. He got encouraged by going to the house of God. Can I tell you, I feel better by coming to the house of God. Listen, you won't feel better by staying home watching the news. But you can feel better by coming to the house of God with God's people. Amen? You, you won't feel better standing out there throwing that lure in the pond fishing. You might do it for a while, but listen, you'll always feel better coming to the house of God with God's people. Listen, I can't tell you how many times a hug around my neck and a handshake and an encouraging word bless me in the house of God. Fellowship is our responsibility to spur each other on to holiness, faithfulness, love, and good work. But guess what? If we don't meet together, we can't fellowship. That just makes sense, doesn't it? 
If we isolate ourselves, cut ourselves off, we can't fellowship. It can't take place. I believe I've said this before, but let me just say it again while it's on my mind. Listen, I've considered not having Wednesday nights because sometimes it's, let me just say it's downright depressing to me sometimes. When I've prepared and come in here and there's three people here, four people here, listen, it's, it's kind of depressing sometimes. And I get up here and do the best I can to teach and preach. But imagine if you put yourself in my shoes for a moment. And you'd spent several hours preparing. And you don't know who's going to show up on a Wednesday night. If it's going to be eight or if it's going to be three. And you walked in here hoping somebody comes. Because that's, let me just say, being transparent as I can. Because some Wednesday nights, that's how it feels. Hoping somebody comes. I'm not trying to guilt anybody. I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. But I walk in here hoping. Somebody shows up. Because I can't just walk over here at 7 p.m. and hit the thermostat and cool it or heat it. It takes a couple hours to make sure this is ready for people to come. And if nobody comes, then we've ran this here for hours and got an electric bill that's got to be paid. That's money that could be saved if we don't have to do that, Right? We're not supposed to live our lives apart from other believers. We're to gather when it's time to gather for services. But let me also say this. Fellowship's supposed to take place outside of church as well. And again, this this is one of those things that let me open up my heart to you. I'm not used to standing at the back door shaking hands and everybody going home and me not seeing you again for a week. I'm used to uh, going to people's homes, uh, eating meals, or going out to dinner, or seeing people throughout the week. As far as just just, just getting together, playing golf with people. That's how I grew up. That's how I've done things. But we shake hands at the back doors like everybody just scatters. I'm not used to that. I grew up in churches and I started, my my greatest friends were those in church. I hung out with people. And you might say, well preacher, you're young, we're older and we don't have it. Listen, you don't know what we might have in common or not. Because you don't get to know me. And I could say I don't get to know you, but here's the thing. We'll never know if we don't Spend time together. We'll never know if we don't sit down and just eat a meal. And I'm not talking about a homecoming meal. I'm talking about going to a McDonald's or a Burger King or sit down at a Sunday dinner at our table or your table and just eat it and talk. That's fellowship. And you might say, well, you can't prove that from Scripture. Look at verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in temple court. Says, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You 
can't tell me that not to sit down and breaking bread together doesn't help. It does help. Let me say this, a lot of times walls come down. You start breaking bread with people. People open up. You start breaking bread with people. I know what it's like to play golf with people. And you get, listen, they'll start talking about anything. You get them on a golf course sometimes. Interrupt Brother Tommy. People uh, uh, begin to tell you, hey, I've got this going on in my life. And it becomes an opportunity. Relationships get built. But you've got to work on those things. And I want to say to us as a church, this is something we've got to work on. Because there's a lot of hurting, lonely people in the world, and when they come to a church, they want to belong. They want to be pulled in, and they want to know that people care, people love them, and they want to belong. They want more than a handshake when they leave on Sunday morning, and hey, we'll see you next week. They want somebody to love them and care for them and invest in them. Let, let me move on, or we won't ever get through. But number three, they, they were a praying church. A praying church. How many know the early church was conceived in a prayer meeting? The Holy Ghost was poured out as they were spending time in prayer. But here we see they, they continually devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Now here, the prayer in view, it's not just individual praying, but corporate praying. They got together and they prayed. But sadly, praying together corporately is often neglected. You can have a program, you can have singings, and you can have all kinds of entertainment, and you can get great crowds to come to church, but call a prayer meeting. And only the faithful few will show up. And can I say that in my opinion that's why there's no power in the church. We don't want to get together and pray. We want to give our time to other things. We don't want to come together and pray. But what did Jesus say? My house will be called a house of prayer. You look at the early church, you'll see that they gave themselves prayer. Let me read these verses real quick. Acts 3, 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. Acts 4, 23, 24. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Acts 4, 31. After they, what? Prayed. Acts 12, 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him, they understood the importance of prayer. And when they prayed, God showed up. When they prayed, God did miraculous things. Listen, because they prayed, they had the power of God in their lives. They were effective in their mission. If we're going to do all that God wants us to do, we've got to be a people that know how to pray. We've got to be a people that comes together and prays. And so we may not do it this month, but maybe starting next month. I want us to have maybe the first Monday or something, a time when we come together and pray. Most everybody's retired, and we can come during the day. We don't have to do it at night, so you, got, you don't have to worry about driving at night. But maybe on a Monday from maybe 10 a.m. to 11, you can drop in, and we'll just spend some time in prayer. 
How's that sound? And we'll do it during the daytime. And just maybe the first Monday of the month, just in the morning, spend some time when we come together and just pray. And then you've got the rest of your day, you can go loaf and shop and fish, hunt, golf, whatever you want to do. And I believe we need to be committed to pray. And I believe God will bless us and honor it. Amen. But we see fourthly, they were an empowered church. An empowered church. Verse 43 tells us, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. They were empowered. They were anointed by the Spirit of God. Miracles were a regular occurrence in the early church because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. I believe for any church to be effective, it's going to need the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. I believe the church cannot be what God wants it to be without the Holy Spirit operating and moving in its midst. And I believe that there's nothing that will take the place of the power of God. There's nothing that will take the place of the Holy Spirit. Listen, education is wonderful, but it will not take the place of the Holy Spirit. Talent is great, but it won't take the place of the Holy Spirit. Money, it's great, but it won't take the place of the Holy Spirit. Listen, programs, creativity, they are wonderful. I'm not against programs. I'm not against being creative. But we need the power of God. We need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We need God to touch us and fill us so that we can be what He wants us to be. But how do we get empowered by the Holy Spirit? It goes back to spending time in prayer. Amen? Little prayer, little power. Much prayer, much power. That's how it happens. Spending time alone with God. And God will empower us. And let me say this and we'll go on to the next thing. I don't want us to become so good at what we do that we stop depending on the Holy Spirit. I don't want to become so good at what I do up here that I stop depending on Him. And if we aren't careful, we can get good at doing what we do. That we say, I no longer need God. Samson thought he was going to go out and shake himself like he did all the other times. And he went out and did not know that the Spirit of God had departed from him. I don't want to be like a Samson. I want the power of God on my life. I want the anointing of God on my life. I want the anointing of God on this church. I want people to drive by and say there's something different about that church right there. I want people to drive into this parking lot for the first time and say, hey, I feel something here that I don't feel anywhere else. How many else desire that? I want people to walk through these doors and say, hey, there's just something, uh, there's an atmosphere here that I don't feel when I go to other places. That's what I want. But it comes through prayer. It comes through fasting. It comes through saying, God, we need you more than we need anything else. Listen, listen. we may not have all the money that other churches have. We may not have all the programs that others have. But listen, you get the power of God and you let people start being changed. You let people be delivered. You let people get up out of wheelchairs. You let blinded eyes get open. And listen, I, I promise you people to drive from all over this county to come to this little old church right here in Jefferson just to see what God does. They'll come. They'll drive from Kershaw. They'll drive from Page, and they'll come from Chesterfield. They'll come from Mac. They'll come from all over this county just to see what God does. If we'll pray and seek God and say, "God, we want Your anointing," they'll come. 
Don't tell me God can't do it. We serve a God that can do it. We've got to ask ourselves, do we want it? And are we willing to pay the price to see it happen? I'm going to get to that when I close. God gave me a word, a single word for us and for my own personal life. But number five, let me, let me move on because we got communion this morning as well. They were a sharing church. They were a sharing church. Verse 44, 45 tells us, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Those in the early church, if somebody had a need, they reached out to meet that need. They'd sell their property, they'd sell their possessions to go and meet that need. This was a people that didn't just get, they gave. They weren't consumers, they were contributors. This church was a body in which they could give what they had to offer. And they could receive what they needed as well. I'm afraid that in most churches today that a lot of people, they want to watch but not work. They want to sit but not serve. They want to take but not tie. They want to get but not give. That's not how the early church was. The early church was made up of believers that understood you're not supposed to be selfish if you call yourself a child of God. In fact, let me say this, a selfish saint is a contradiction in terms. We're supposed to be givers. We're supposed to be contributors. Notice that no one told them to give sacrificially. No one told them to sell their stuff and give it away. Nobody told them, hey, you need to share your stuff with everybody else. They did it on their own. They simply saw a need and they did what they could to meet the need. Can I tell you what gets in the way so many times today in churches of meeting people's needs? Boards and budgets. Amen. Boards and budgets gets in the way today of trying to help people. And so let me just say to you, if you see a need and you're able to meet a need, just go meet the need. Because boards and budgets gets in the way. Because in churches, let's vote on it. If you can do it, just go do it. Now let me say something. If you say, preacher, I've got to give it to the church because I want to get it noted on my giving so I can get help at the end of the year on my taxes. Well, you're giving for the wrong reason. You're better off not giving anyways. Right? But if you're able to help somebody, just go help them. That's what these did. They, did. they just sold what they had and just, just gave it and helped people. They were a sharing church. And I know for us, that's hard to understand. We think, why should I give my hard-earned money? Why should I sell my stuff? And I'm not saying go sell your stuff. I'm not talking about communism. But they were, were giving. They were blessing people, helping people. But can I tell you why they tried to help people? They valued people over possessions. People were important to them. And I would say to us that if people become more important to us than our stuff, we'll learn how to be generous. We'll learn how to be givers and not takers when people become more important than our stuff. In fact, let me say this. We probably all got some stuff that we thought we wanted and needed and it's sitting in a closet collecting dust somewhere that we could probably sell and give that money to a good cause or to 
Somebody in need, couldn't we? I'll put, my, I'll put both hands up. I probably got a closet full of stuff. Not just one thing, but probably multiple things I could get rid of. Clothes we don't wear. Shoes we don't wear. That we can bless people with. Number six, they were a joyful church. They were a joyful church. Verse 46 and 47, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Notice they ate together with glad hearts and they were praising God. That word glad means joyful. They were eating together and they were joyful. They liked being around each other. And it says they were praising God. It shouldn't surprise us that when people are unified and anointed and empowered and sharing, that they'd be joyful. It shouldn't surprise us, should it? That when you get people that come together and they're sharing and the Spirit of God's moving, that there'd be joy. And they were worshiping God. They rejoiced over what God did in their midst. They worshipped Him, exalted Him. They praised His attributes and His works. I believe the church ought to be a joyful place. I believe the church ought to be a worshiping place. I believe as we come to the house of God, He ought to be exalted and magnified. And I believe if we'll come here and we'll worship Him and exalt Him, the atmosphere in this place will change. And I believe you'll feel better when you leave. I believe you'll get out of the service what you put into it. Let me move on. Number seven. They were a growing church. They were a growing church. Verse seven. Look at the last part of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were effective at reaching people. They were witnesses. And God added to their number daily those that were being saved. As people around them watched their conduct, watched their behavior, God added to the church. God multiplied the church. In fact, you'll notice here at the first part of this verse, they were praising God and it says they had the favor of all the people. Now we know persecution comes later on, but they had the favor of all the people. I believe that when the church is what God intends it to be, God will give you favor with the people. But they were a growing church. They were making a difference. They were having an impact. Somehow as people watched this church, they were being drawn and attracted to this church. Listen, I'd like to be a church like this where people are drawn and attracted to the church. Their very existence was a testimony of the gospel. Now think about it. They didn't have all the things we have. They didn't have a building. They didn't have a budget. They didn't have land. They didn't have money. But every day, we don't know if it was one soul or multiple souls, but every day somebody was being saved. Somebody was being added 
to the church. Listen, it wasn't magic. It wasn't coincidence. So how did it happen? Acts 2.32 tells us God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Every day as they lived their life, every day as they went about their business, they were simply a living testimony of what Jesus had done in their life. I'll say it this way. They weren't just a church on Sunday. They were a church every day of the week. And God added to their number every day. They planted seed. They watered seed that they'd sown. They not only taught the talk, but they walked the walk and God gave increase. That phrase there that God added to the number daily of those who were being saved. It reminds us that God is sovereign in salvation. It reminds us that we can't save anybody. But God does the saving. That means we, we witness, we share the gospel, we plant seed, we water seed. But only God can make it grow. And so let me say it this way. On our own, we might be able to draw a crowd, but only God can grow a church. Listen, I don't want just a crowd... I want a church. Amen? I want a community of believers, not just a crowd. And so they were a growing church. And let me say, as we get ready to wrap up, every church isn't going to be a large church. I understand that. Every church is not going to be a mega church. Every church isn't going to be uh, running a thousand plus. But you hear me well, every church should be a growing church. A church by its very nature is a living organism that should exist to grow. Everything that is healthy grows. And when the church is healthy, it should grow. We're not supposed to be like a fort where we hold up and wait till the end. The late pastor Adrian Rogers, he said this, a church will either evangelize or it will fossilize but it will not stand still. Let me read that again. A church will either evangelize or it will fossilize, but it will not stand still. Now listen, we may not see people saved on a daily basis, but if the day ever comes where we stop seeing people saved, we may as well have a funeral because the church is dead. We can't say amen, let's say oh me. But if we stop seeing people saved and we stop seeing people added to the church, let's go ahead and have a funeral, let's pull the plug and call it dead. I know that may be strong words and it may not be what we want to hear. But I believe it's what God is saying to us. In closing, this was an attractive church. They didn't have what we had, but they reached people. 3,000 were saved in one day, according to verse 41. God added daily those who were being saved, according to verse 47. That's not bad, is it? Who wouldn't want to be a part of a church like that? So what made them so attractive? Let me simplify the message for you this morning. The believers were unified, Christ was magnified, and the church was multiplied. That's it.
And what happened in the book of Acts, it's not unique. That's God's plan for the church. And so I'll say to us today, we don't need new methods. We don't need a new model. We simply need a new appreciation and application of the original model. And when we emphasize the worship of God and the preaching of God's Word, and when there's an atmosphere of true fellowship mixed with evangelism, the church will be healthy. And a healthy church will attract people to Jesus. That's my desire for this church in 2020. And I believe we can see God do it. Amen. But let me give you this word for 2020, this word that God put in my heart for our church and for my own personal life. And it's one simple word, and it's the word intentional. Do you realize none of this takes place? Now, the growing part, that's God. But the witnessing part, the praying part, the fellowshipping part, the, the, the being generous, all of that, do you realize none of that takes place unless we are intentional? You know what intentional means? It means it's done on purpose. We can't be a praying church unless we do it on purpose. We can't be a generous church unless we do it on purpose. We can't be a fellowshipping church unless we do it on purpose. Everything we do this year, I want us to do it on purpose. I want us to be intentional in 2020. Because nothing happens by accident. You do it intentionally. I want us to be a church that is intentional. And that's the focus of my life this year. I want to be intentional with my life. Because if I'm going to change, if I'm going to be different in 2021, should the Lord Terry... It's going to have to be by intention. Reading my Bible. Praying. Seeking God. It's going to have to be intentional. Same with you. It has to be intentional. Amen? And so that's our focus this year. That's our word as a church. Maybe you won't adopt that word for your life this year, but I want us to be intentional. So that we see God do what He wants to do in our midst. I want you to stand with me.